Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Okay, let's listen to God's Word. Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and of the earth when they were created when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens now no scrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life and the man became a living being now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed the Lord made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil a river, water, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. In the, the name of the first is Pishon. Its wind, it wind winds through the entire land of Havilak, when there, where there is gold. The gold that land, that land is good, aromatic resin and onyx are also there the name of the second river is Gishon it winds through the entire land of Cush the name of the third river is Tigris it runs along the east side of Asher and the fourth river is Euphrates the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it and the Lord God commanded the man you are free to eat from any tree of this garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it you will certainly die and the Lord said it is not good for man to be alone I will make a helper suitable for him the Lord God had the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky he brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the name man named or called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he had, that he had taken out from the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. 
she shall be called woman for he has taken for she was taken out of man that is why man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh adam and and his wife were both naked and felt no shame it's god's word well today we're up to week 3 in our genesis series genesis if you don't know is the first book of the bible And it's a very critical book because it tells us about who God is, who we are, and what purpose we have in life. In week one of the series, we looked at God creating the heavens and the earth and how incredible that is, how beautiful that is. Uh, But last week in week two, we kind of honed in to what I called the, the crown jewel or the pinnacle of his creation. And what we found is that the pinnacle of God's creation is you and me, mankind, because we are the only ones in all of creation that are uniquely created in the image of God, which means that we're created to reflect his character and his image in all of creation. And so last week we started to look at um, the question of what is our purpose in life? Uh, being created in the image of God shows us that we're valuable and that we're loved by God and we're dear to him. But what is our purpose? The two big questions in life, who am I and what am I here for? And so last week we started to explore what the purposes of life are. Uh, from Genesis chapter 1. And last week we focused on three things. Uh, purpose number one was that we're created for relationship. Um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, before anything else existed, they existed. And they existed in perfect relationship, loving one another. And so when God created us, He created us from the fullness of their joy, their unity, and their love. And they created us to reflect that part of their character. That we are people that are called to be in relationship with God vertically and each other horizontally. Now we know that sin stuffed that up. We know that we let each other down. We hurt one another. We know that we've rebelled against God. And this is why the gospel is so important. When we come to know Jesus at the cross, uh, we receive his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. And he pours that into our life when we receive him. And he pours it into our life not for us to hoard for ourselves, but to use to love one another. And so as we love one another um, with self-sacrifice and service and love, once again, we reflect the image of God in relationship. Purpose number two was multiplication. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and he said, be blessed, go forth, multiply and fill the earth. And so that was a mandate from God. Once again, sin has tainted that. And instead of us multiplying God's image, um, that's now been tainted and we tend to multiply wickedness, which is again why the cross is important. Because as we receive Christ as our Lord and Saviour, the Bible teaches that we take all of our sin and unrighteousness and we trade it in at the cross for the righteousness of Jesus. And now as followers of Christ, we are once again called to multiply and we're to do it by discipleship, to go and make disciples, um, people that will obey Jesus and do everything he's commanded. And so when we multiply like that, once again, we're imaging God through multiplication. The last purpose last week was dominion, that we have been created uniquely to rule over creation, that we're given the ability to rule over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and all living creatures. Now, when we hear that, that we're told to go and rule, uh, we, we, we think that's a bad thing. And we think it's a bad thing because our ruling has been shaped by our experience and by our practice. But when God said go and rule over everything, it was actually a really good thing because he wasn't talking about doing it like we've done it. Uh, abusing creation, exploiting creation, ruining creation. But we were to have dominion by caring for creation, cultivating creation, and stewarding all that God has given us for his glory. And so we have three purposes from last week, relationship, multiplication, and dominion. Today we're going to focus on purpose four and five. And the two purposes I want to talk about today is that we are created for work 
and we're created for rest. And so I imagine um, as we look at this today, we'll get a bit of an idea of what Christians should be like and how they should approach the issue of work. But at the same time, I want us to examine how disciplined we're being in rest. And so I imagine today there's some people here that you really need to hear the work part. Uh, Matt Chandler says, um, show me a bored person, I'll show you a dangerous person. And how true that is. So often when we don't have enough to do that's productive, we gravitate towards things that are destructive in our lives. And so work is incredibly important. And for some of you today will be an encouragement to, to seek out some meaningful work in your life. But for others, you don't need to be encouraged to work. Now, you've got the work part down pat. In fact, you work, 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 and every waking moment of the day, that's all you ever think about is your work. And so today, I hope that you're challenged and also encouraged to consider to be a little bit more disciplined in rest. And so the big picture today is this, that I hope that we will see that being created in God's image means that part of our purpose as human beings is to work, but at the same time, purpose is also found And ironically, work effectiveness increases when we are disciplined in rest. It's how God has designed us to be because we're imaging a God who has shown us and modeled for us both work and rest. And so today we're going to start uh, looking at this and we're going to look at four points. First of all, God works. Second of all, we image God in our work. Uh, Number three, God rested. And number four, we image God in our rest. And so let's start by talking about the truth that God works. In the first verse that Sanjeev read today, it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. In the next two verses, we hear the word work three times, and it's referring to God. It says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. Now, I mentioned in week one of the series that uh, in the ancient Near East, there were many different creation accounts, and each one of them attempted to describe how the universe came into being. Uh, One of the most popular ones, or well-known ones, was the Babylonian creation story. It was known as the Enuma Elish. And in that story, there was a main god called Marduk, and Marduk was battling against a whole bunch of other gods, and finally, he destroyed the goddess Tiamat, and then he used her remains to build the world. It's quite a romantic story. (laughs) After he created the world, he then created humankind because in his view, work is not something that gods should do. Gods were meant to rest. And so he created humankind to go and do all the work of of keeping creation. So I kind of get this picture of Marduk on a a big God-sized recliner, sort of leaning back like I was last night in gold class and and watching reruns of Friends as everyone else on earth, all the humans, are, are working away to make sure that creation continues to work. As we get to Genesis and we look at the creation account, we see a very God, that, a very different God that's depicted at the start of the Bible. First of all, he's not in competition with any other God. There's no other God. It's God alone. He is the one God. He is the all-powerful God, and he has no equal. But secondly, we see that God is a God who's not afraid to work. He's a God who is working. Not only does he work, but it's clear that he finds great joy in it. I, I don't know if you can picture today someone like Michelangelo. And you can probably picture him back in the day um, doing some of his art. And maybe he's got a a blank canvas or some clay material and he's kind of either sculpting and moulding something or he's painting something. And you can kind of imagine a guy like that standing back at the end of the day and looking at it 
uh, as he sort of just started the project and kind of looking at it and saying, that's good. I'm kind of on the right track here. This is, this is good stuff. And so the next day he gets back into it and he's painting some more and he's splashing paint here and there and he's sculpting some more. And at the end of the next day he stands back and he says, yeah, it's good. But you can imagine him getting to the end of the project and standing back at his completed masterpiece and saying, that's very good. I don't know if that's the accent. I'm going to go with it. That's very good. And he does that as he looks at the work that he's done. And I kind of imagine God being a little bit like that, maybe a different accent, I'm not sure. But I imagine God looking at his work and saying, that's good, or that's very good. In fact, I don't have to imagine it, I can just turn to Genesis chapter 1. And at the end of each day, he says, it's good. But then when he's finished the universe, he looks at it and he says, it's very good. I see a God that loves to work. He's not grumbling about it. He's not palming it off to human beings like it's something beneath him. He's not doing it out of obligation. Here we see a God who is enjoying his work in creation. Now, what we know about God is that his work didn't finish there. He created all things, but now he's also sustaining all things. Colossians chapter 1 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, Everything is holding together in creation. Everything is working as it is because God's a God at work, and he's holding his creation together. In fact, if he was to withdraw his presence from creation for a split second, this whole thing would be gone. God is busy working, sustaining creation. All of creation that we've explored in the last couple of weeks, all of its magnificence, all of its beauty, all of its bigness, all of its delicacy, all of its intricacy, God created it all and God sustains it all. A universe that scientists estimate would take 93 billion years to travel around and God holds the whole thing in the palm of his hand, making sure that it all works. He is sovereign and that should bring great comfort in our lives. And that's the God we worship the all-powerful creator of all things. All things are possible with him. But what I love about God is that he doesn't just work at the universe level, but he also works at the individual level. God's not just a, a macro God, but he also works at the micro level. And so at the same time that he's sustaining all of creation by the power of his word, he's also working in our lives. He's the God of all, and he's the God of the individual. And he's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, all of us would have made those phone calls. You know those phone calls when you've got to ring the telco or you've got to ring the electricity company and you get that lovely message when you ring. They say something like this. Thank you for your call. Your call is important to us. You are number 54 in the queue. Your estimated waiting time is one and a half hours. And we are going to play the most painful music you've ever heard so there is 0% chance you're going to stay on the line. We've all had those experiences. Or maybe you ring the doctor's surgery or or some sort of business you're trying to get hold of and you get the answering machine. And it says, this is the office of so-and-so. Our business hours are 9am to 4pm, Monday to Friday. Please call back in business hours or leave a message. Beep! And you look at the clock and it's 9.15 or it's quarter to four. And you think, they're meant to be answering my call and it's urgent and yet I cannot get onto them. Are you not glad this morning that God does not work like that? that he does not clock off, that he does not have business hours, and anything outside of business hours just has to wait. Can you imagine if Peter was at the pearly gates taking phone calls? 
And I ring up and I say, hello. And he goes, hello, heaven speaking. And I say, it's Luke here again. He goes, oh, Luke, you again. Uh, God's pretty busy today, mate. Uh, would you like to stay on hold? Uh, yeah, how long will that be? Well, today you're number 6,327 in the queue. Estimated waiting time of 47 years. Uh, here's Justin Bieber while you wait. Can you imagine if God worked like that? It would be so incredibly painful, not just because of the music, but also because of the wait. But the truth is we serve a God who works. We serve a God who's also always available and he's working in our lives. Romans 8.28 says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in my life will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God's a God who works. And so what does that mean for us if we're created in the image of a God who works and we're meant to reflect his characteristics? Well, the second point today is that we reflect God, we image God in our work. We've just seen that God's a God who works. The first three verses really highlighted that. But if I was to ask you the question today, why do you work? I wonder what your answer would be. I imagine in a room like this, I'd get lots of different answers, but most people would say, I work because I have to. I work for the weekend, I work to pay the bills, I work to feed my family. Some people would say that work is a necessary evil. It's something that we only do because we have to, and if we didn't have to, then we wouldn't do it. But I want you to notice something in Genesis chapter 2. I want you to notice that we're reading about Adam and Eve, and at this point in the story, they are literally living in paradise. They have everything provided for them. Beautiful garden, beautiful food to eat, freedom, blessing, great relationship with God that has not been ruined yet, amazing relationship with one another, and literally living in this paradise prior to sin, uh, wrecking everything, we'll see what they're doing. And what are they doing? In paradise, they're working. It's interesting, isn't it? That we think it's a necessary evil, but here God has created us for work. Verse 15 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Down in verse 18, it says, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so just as God works, he also gives mankind work to do. And just as God took great delight in the work that he was doing, he also wants us to find purpose and joy in ours. I think in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they were working, but I reckon they would have really enjoyed their work. Uh, If you're a gardener here, you can probably connect with this. If you love getting out, you're a bit of a green thumb and you love planting stuff in the gardening, in the garden, you'll know that feeling when something you've planted starts to to blossom. Uh, Fruit comes on it or the leaves come out or something starts to grow and get bigger. Um, I've had this recently in my own front yard. Uh, Over summer, I had beautiful turf there, but it kind of died off and it became patchy. And, you know, it looked a bit awful. And so I went to Bunnings and I got some soil and I got some new seed and I I kind of put the soil over the patches and I planted the seed. And now a month later, my my grass is beautiful and green and lush. And I go to the front door and I open it and I just go, Luke, you're a genius. (laughs) And I look at it, I just look at it. I'm in awe of the grass that I'm looking at. And I think, this is awesome. And there's this sense of joy and fulfillment in the work that, that my hands have been put to and the result of that work. Now, Adam and Eve would have had that experience, but a thousand times over. No thorns and no thistles, no weeds. I've got plants that die, no plants that are dying. But everything they put their hands to was flourishing and growing. And so for Adam and Eve, they would have found great purpose 
in their work with the cultivating and the planting and the growing and the flourishing in the garden. And so God has designed us to work, but he wants us to enjoy our work. Now, you might think, okay, Luke, that all sounds good, but why is it that I hate my job? Why is it that my job is so boring? It's so difficult. It's so hard. I just, I just can't wait for the weekend because I can't stand what I do. Well, I think we'll start to answer that next week as we look at the fall of mankind because when God created us, he created us to work in a certain way under his reign and rule and under his reign and rule was incredible blessing and freedom. But Adam and Eve decided to rebel against God and once they rebelled against God, the whole order of things was disrupted and things weren't as easy as they were before. And the result was for our work that the work that we were given to that should have brought great joy has now become a lot more difficult. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, God talks about the end result for Adam and Eve. And he says for Adam, uh, his work in the garden is going to be a lot harder, working the, the ground. And it's going to be harder because the ground's now going to be cursed. Work will be, the exact quote, painful toil. Thorns and thistles will now infest the ground. Sweat will happen through manual labor. As, as Eve gives birth to children, there will be increased pain in childbirth. And things are just going to be a lot more difficult. And so one of the reasons that we often don't enjoy work is because of what sin has done to it. Sin has made it a lot more difficult than it was designed to be. In this series throughout Genesis, we're going to be focusing on the first 11 chapters. And from this point onwards, really, we're going to see the devastating effects of sin. And what we're going to see is mankind kind of spiralling downwards to the point where, where God wipes everyone out with a flood except Noah and his family. And then they kind of reboot, but we see sin's still an issue, and so mankind continues to spiral downward. By the time we get to the end of this series, we're going to get to chapter 11, and we're going to read about something called the Tower of Babel. And what we see at the Tower of Babel is is all of the human beings gathering together and working. But we'll see in this account that, that the motivation for work has completely changed. Not only is it it's not enjoyable anymore, it's it's hard work, but instead of doing what Adam and Eve did, They were working to uh, cultivate a garden for human flourishing. They were working to enjoy what they were doing. They were working to bring glory to God. But when we get to the Tower of Babel, they're building a tower into the heavens and they say they're doing it to make a name for themselves. I think sometimes we don't enjoy work because we're doing it for the same reasons as them. We're doing it to be a success. We're doing it to make a name for ourselves and we look to our work for a sense of identity and purpose and ultimate fulfillment when we should be looking to God for those things. And so work becomes very difficult. But I believe through a relationship with Christ, he actually wants us to take this incredible gift that he's given us, the gift of work. And I believe he wants us to be redeemed in the area of work so that we once again find purpose in work And we work for our enjoyment, once again for the flourishing of all humanity, and once again ultimately to bring glory to God. The great professor and theologian David Young from Follow Baptist Church (laughs) once did a Bible college essay. And in his Bible college essay, he he drew three circles, and they kind of intersected. And in circle number one, um, the title of this circle was What You're Good At. The second circle was titled What You're Passionate About. And the third circle was titled, What are the Needs in the World? And the great thesis of this wonderful essay was to say that what was happening in the middle of the circle, where those circles intersect, is perhaps what you're designed to do. Uh, Tim Keller says it a little bit different. He says, when considering what work we should do in our lives, we should look in, we should look out, and we should look up. In other words, we should look, first of all, inside. 
What am I passionate about? What has God designed for me to love to do with all my heart? What are the gifts and the skills and the abilities that he has given me? And so once we look in and determine that, we then look out and say, well, how can I take those gifts that God has given me and use them to bless people, to make this world a better place, to see humanity flourish? And then finally, and most importantly, we look up and we say, how do we take all of that and how do we use it to bring glory back to God? It's so important that we consider that with our work. And I think if we were to find work like that, we would find ourselves returning to something similar to what we see in the garden. It would still be tainted by sin and frustration. It would still be difficult at times. But in the garden, they used what God gave them and they used those things to bless people and to bring glory to him. And I think that gives us an idea of how we would find purpose in our work. I love working as a pastor. Uh, Sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes it's tiring. Sometimes it's incredibly painful. Sometimes it's difficult because Rowan's here. Sometimes being a pastor is a slog. Um, But, you know, I I love doing what I'm doing because I believe I've found where those circles intersect. I believe I'm doing what God's created me to do and called me to do. And so in it, I find incredible joy doing what God has called me to do. And so the question is for, for each of us, what's God calling you to do? What is God calling you to do? For young people, this is really critical. Maybe you're at school at the moment, you're heading towards VCE, or maybe you're in uni and you're still trying to work out what you're going to do with your life. But can I encourage you as you do that, that you really seek God in prayer and make the number one question, God, what do you want me to do? Because what you do in life shouldn't be primarily shaped by what mummy and daddy want you to do. It shouldn't be shaped by what society says is a success. Because I've noticed that we tend to elevate the jobs that bring in lots of money and give you a title and prestige. And so we think that to be successful, we've got to go and get a degree and become a doctor or a lawyer or or whatever. And don't get me wrong, if you're a doctor and a lawyer, that's a wonderful thing. If that's what God's created you for and you're passionate about it and you want to use that to bless people, then whatever you do, do it with all of your heart. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. But what I'm trying to say is not everyone's designed for that kind of role. You could be a garbage collector. And that could be the greatest thing you could do with your life if that's what God's gifted you for. And that's what he's given you a passion for. Can you imagine what our neighborhoods would look like if no one picked up our rubbish each week? It would be like piles. It would be like one of my kids' rooms. It would just be like a pigsty, junk everywhere, rats crawling around, spiders hiding everywhere. There would be sickness and disease. Um, But the truth is that someone each week has got a job to come and collect our rubbish. And that's a wonderful job for them to do. And if they have this attitude, they can see that as a role that they are doing to bless people, to cultivate and care for environment through rubbish collection and recycling. And in the process, they can bring glory to the God who created it all. And that would be a wonderful thing. This week, I asked Dave in the office, if God had only two occupations, what do you think they would be? Uh, Dave said straight away, he said, I think they'd be a doctor. He'd be a doctor and he'd be a defense lawyer. And he said, you know, I think that's pretty good. I mean, a doctor, uh, you know, he said he didn't come for the healthy, but he's come for the sick. Um, so I think that's probably a good one. Um, he said defense lawyer, and there's no doubt that uh, Christ is our great defender before the wrath of God and before the enemy. I'm just not sure if I'm comfortable putting God and lawyer in the same sentence. I mean, there's some occupations we can just rule out for God, right? Uh, politician, just rule it out, right? Uh, all talk, no action, broken promises, you can rule that out. Footy player, for maybe, I don't know, Carlton, Collingwood, Hawthorne. Essendon, demons, rule it out, right? God's not going to do that. And so we can rule out those occupations. So what occupation do I think would describe God? 
Well, I think in the Roman culture that Jesus lived in, I think people would say probably a military leader or a political leader. That's what they were expecting in their Messiah. And that would be the pinnacle for them, some big, strong military leader. And so they say God would be like a political leader. I think in the Greek culture, they would say perhaps, um, you know, a professor. They had this insatiable desire for, for knowledge. And so they would see God as kind of like the old wise professor type of God. But if I was to give him two occupations, and there's probably many that you could give, but I think maybe a gardener and a carpenter. And I think maybe a gardener because I see in the Garden of Eden him putting this garden together and I see him uh, working from the dust to the ground and creating and this beautiful sort of masterpiece in the Garden of Eden. And so God's not scared to kind of get his hands dirty. And I think maybe a carpenter because when uh, God came to earth, Jesus Christ, God in human form, he was a carpenter. And I used to do it too, so it fits well with, with me. <laughs> And so we see uh, these roles that perhaps God could take on. But the thing I want you to see about the roles that God assumes is that they're not the ones that would be elevated in the Greek or the Roman world, and they're not even really the roles that we would elevate today. And so the point I'm trying to make is this, that whatever you do, every job has dignity. And so if we're going to image God in our work, we need to do so by doing whatever we do with all of our heart because we're doing it for the Lord. We need to take what he's gifted us with, uh, we need to use it to bless others and ultimately to bring glory to God. And so let's recap. What's our purpose in life? Our purpose is relationship. We're created to multiply. We're created for dominion. We're created for work. And finally today, purpose number five, we're created for rest. And so shut your eyes and have a rest if you want for the next few minutes. I'm talking to the workaholics right now. If you're a workaholic here today, you know who you are and I want to talk to you because, you know, you don't need to be challenged to do any more work. You work, 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 work. What I will say is this. If you show me a workaholic, I'll show you someone who's tired. I'll show you someone who's frustrated. I'll show you someone who is a bit abrasive. I'll show you someone who is counterproductive to what they're trying to achieve. But if you show me someone who works hard and balances it with rest, I will show you someone who more closely images God and will be more productive in all that they do. Verse 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. The question is, did God need to rest? I think the answer is no. I don't think he needed to rest. Isaiah 40, 28 says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired. He will not weary. And so I don't think Genesis chapter 2 is implying that God, after creating everything, the whole universe, you would be a bit tired if we did it, but it's not implying that God was like exhausted. I need to have a break now. I need to have a rest. What I think it is saying is that God is actually modelling something for us. He's modelling that there is time to work and there is time to cease the work and there is time to rest. I think Jesus modelled this for us when we were on earth. I was reading the Gospel of Mark recently and I came to the story of the the feeding of the 5,000 or the 15,000 or whatever you think it is. But I came to that story and, and, you know, when we read that story, most of us know it. You know the story when Jesus takes two little fish, five loaves of bread, he multiplies it and he feeds up to 15,000 people. And we we know the story because we focus on the miracle. But if we focus on the miracle, I think we miss the principle of rest that is found at the beginning of the story and the end of the story. Let me read to you how the story starts. Jesus says to his disciples, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I think that might be a word for some people here today. Jesus is saying to you today, Come with me by yourselves 
to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, at this point of Jesus' ministry, he was a bit of a celebrity. You know, you've seen the Beatles and people flocking to see the Beatles or Justin Bieber. They're, they're really bad examples. Uh, but, but Jesus was a bit like that. People uh, flocked everywhere he went. They flocked to hear him teach. And so here he is going for a day of rest, uh, heading to a solitary place. But all the crowds see him and they flock there. And it says Jesus looked at them and he had compassion. I love that about Jesus. He's interruptible. He's on his way to rest, but he's a chance for ministry. And so he's interruptible because he loves people. And so he goes and he starts to teach and then he performs this miracle. But I want you to notice what happens at the end of the story. When we get to the last verse, verse 45, it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up onto a mountainside to pray. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He was heading for rest. He was interruptible. His first priority after that, what was it? Rest. Jesus models for us how important rest is in our lives. In another passage, he says these words. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. God models for us the principle of rest and for us the necessity of rest. And so how do we image God in this area? Well, we image God in our rest. I don't know if you've noticed, but I think it's harder these days than any other time in history to switch off. You know, back in the old days, uh, when Rob Shures was a boy, there was like the horse and cart, and you could, you know, gallop into work and, and do your work, and then at the end you could sort of gallop home and you wouldn't think about work till the next day, right? Uh, but technology's kind of advanced over the years. We got to the point where we got a computer. Um, they used to be called desktops. Do you remember those things? They would sit on a desk. And you'd go to work and you'd do your work and then you'd close it down and then you'd go home and then the next day you'd come and you'd uh, open up your desktop again and then you'd start some more work. But over time, things kept advancing, things like the internet. And we started with dial-up. My kids look at me and go, what? What's dial-up? Never heard of it. You remember it? <laughs> you have to wait for it to connect. And then it was about as, as quick as a snail. And we used to have internet, but we thought it was the greatest thing on earth. Uh, but that's, you know, continued to increase. And we now have, you know, broadband and uh, what, what are they called? Those other ones, those super duper fast ones. And it's getting faster all the time. And then eventually we had laptops. And so our PC now became portable. And so everywhere we go, we can take our work with us. And then, uh, you know, that was too much. And so we got Blackberries. And then we got the pinnacle of that, the iPhone. And then we got the inferior technology of the Android. And... Um, <laughs> And the problem is that these things are everywhere we go. We don't switch off anymore. And right now, I'm not preaching to any of you, I'm preaching to me. Because I find it very hard to switch off. Uh, this thing is, is meant to be a phone, but it's the last thing it's designed for. It's a calendar, it's a diary, it's a, a text message machine, it's an email receiver and sender. It's, a, you know, it's, it's everything, really, all in one. It's a camera, I can take a photo of you now, but I don't want to break my lens. Uh, so this is, this is everything, right? I'm not sure who I was talking to. You, you <laughs> work it out amongst yourselves. This is everything, right? And so uh, you sit down to have a, a rest, and then what, what, what interrupts the rest? Beep, beep, flash, flash, beep, beep, flash, flash. Oh, that email. Yeah, I better send that off. I'll get a good start for tomorrow. I'll do that. Oh, there's a message there. I'll do that. Yep. Oh, what's on tomorrow? Oh, you yeah, know, I'll play a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm resting, and I'm completely exhausted. And so, so we need to be more than ever disciplined in rest. There's a, there's a thing called a charger. 
You can charge this thing. You can put it on the bench and kind of just charge it, and you can leave it there. And then this button on the side here actually turns it off. If you hold it down long enough, it will turn the phone off. And it's really important that we become disciplined in rest. If God rested, if God took a break, if God ceased his work, how much more do we need to? So there's some people here today that are much in need of this message because you need to be more disciplined in rest. And this could actually help save you from complete burnout or hitting a wall. We need rest physiologically. We need rest psychologically. We need rest emotionally. We need rest spiritually. If we're exhausted all the time, we're not going to image God as he wants us to. Uh, how are we going to image God in our relationships if we're exhausted? We're going to snap at one another. We're going to hurt one another. We're going to say things we regret. How are we going to do it with dominion where we're going to just uh, abuse people just to get things done? How are we going to do it with work where we're not going to be productive because we're going to be exhausted all the time? How are we going to do it in multiplication where we're going to multiply workaholics in our kids? And so we think of these purposes and we think maybe rest is a, the least important one. But when you see it that way, you see that rest actually makes all the rest of them more effective. Wayne Muller says, because we do not rest, we lose our way. Poisoned by the hypnotic belief that good things come only through unceasing determination and tireless effort, we can never truly rest. And for want of rest, our lives are in danger. So important that we create space in our life to shut off the noise, to spend time alone, to spend time with family, to spend time in God's presence, to get into his word, to spend time in prayer. And I can guarantee you today, if you do, you won't regret it. And if you can make rest a priority, everything else will be more enjoyable in life and ironically, everything else will become more productive. The book of Genesis is such an important book because it makes it clear who we are. We're created in the image of God. We're precious to him. But it also shows that we've got incredible purpose in life. Purpose for relationship, for multiplication, for dominion, for work and for rest. Let us allow Jesus to shape our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we will reflect his image in all that we do.